The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Rameen. If you or someone you are close to is dealing with addiction, there are so many programs out there that can help you. But how do you gauge which ones are going to work the best for you? Some are expensive, some deal with some of the issues, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Others treat the problem at a basic level, but don't determine ultimate success. Join us now for an hour that sets out to be truly groundbreaking and will help you discover how to find the best program for your addiction problem. Now, here is Ross Rameen. Hi, this is Ross Rameen, and welcome to The Power to Create Yourself. We are coming to you from Los Angeles, California, at the Rebos Treatment Center. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, On last week's show, I had announced a kind of a staggering fact, um, a very conservative fact, because it's hard to get really accurate um, numbers when it comes to this. So many different places are putting their two cents into it, but 206 people die each day from drug or alcohol abuse um, in this country. And I say those are very conservative because I know for myself, and I say this a lot, I average about three to four phone calls per week of hearing somebody that has died from either drugs or alcohol. And um, it's a staggering fact that this is just rampant in our country right now, and yet it's still such a um, an untalked about subject, more and more being talked about, but still it's kind of like, you know, the people that are, suffer from addiction um, are really secluded, I think, uh, you know, as opposed to any other disease that's out there. A lot of people, um, you know, the addicted ones, loved ones, are very hard on their on their sons, their daughters, husbands, or wives, uh, brothers and sisters, because they think it's a light switch. They think they can just turn it on or turn it off. And today we have a, a special guest, and he's so special that I'm giving him the the whole hour because um, his name is Dr. Kambam. He is a licensed um, psychiatrist here in Los Angeles. Uh, he works with the Rebos Treatment Center in a few other places around um, Los Angeles, and he has some um, pretty staggering uh, facts that we're going to go over today. We're going to really, um, we're going to press some buttons today on this subject. This is a very hot subject on um, on prescription medications, what we're seeing um, from clients, what they've been supposedly diagnosed with, what they have been prescribed, even though doctors know that they are an addict. Um, so anyway, well, welcome to the show, Dr. Kamba. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. Um, I want to jump in and kind of give you a little a little background of what happened to me when I got sober, you know, my first, my first trip through treatment, probably 15 plus years ago, I remember I went to a treatment center and, um, and I'm not going to say the name of it um, by any means, try to keep the names out of it, but just so people know what's going on. And I remember I had, I had an intervention done on me by my family. And within six hours I was, you know, I was on a plane and I was heading to this treatment center. The about 12 hours after I got to the treatment center, I met with a psychiatrist and he asked me if I was depressed and I told him, yes, I was. Um, I was very depressed. I was I was crushed. I was embarrassed. Um, I I had so much guilt. I had so much shame, even though I didn't know what those, you know, guilt and shame really was Um, at the time. I just had a feeling of I was in the pits. And he had gave me two prescriptions, um, and one of them was Wellbutrin, and the other one I can't remember what it was for, but it was a mood stabilizer. And he he basically diagnosed me within being twelve hours of a treatment center because I told him I was depressed. And as I look back on it now, I should have been depressed where I was at, 
I had just had an intervention done on my family. I had my drugs taken away from me. Um, I had my life taken away from me. Um, I was absolutely crushed. And as I look back now, and we see a lot of this with our clients that come into here, I'm finding so many people come into our treatment center and all these other treatment centers. I think there's nobody that would argue this. They are being prescribed drugs that is not relevant for them. It's mind-blowing to me what's going on. I was I was having a reaction to the situation that I was in, and I was told that I was <clears throat> clinically depressed. And so I have to be on these drugs for the rest of my life. What What's going on here, Doc? you you got to help me out with this because yeah. it's driving me insane. Sure, sure. So, I mean, half of what I'm doing here at Rebus is, is actually just that, is just cleaning up uh, people's medications, and sometimes they're a complete mess. And I think part of the issue is is that Doctors have to be aware, and they know on a knowledge level, but they, you know, whether they get rushed at times or they forget what they're thinking about, you got to look at history. History and information is the most valuable thing in mental health. So the more information about what happened throughout your life, that's going to help us figure out what's going on. But the problem is you're, you're popping in front of somebody, and now they have a snapshot when you've gotten everything taken away from you, when you're potentially going through withdrawal. Of course, you're going to have all kinds of emotional reactions. That does not mean that you've had a whole lifelong history of this. And also, I think there is a a pressure that some of these doctors feel that they have to prescribe something. They've got to do something right now. And I think that goes back into the culture of medicine. But, you know, it's also part of the, the culture of the United States. We want a quick fix. And sometimes the right answer for folks is that let's just wait. Let's wait and get more information or wait you know, maybe not doing this and doing other interventions and seeing where you go is actually the, the better thing for you in the long run. People lose sight of that. Uh, I think there's also insurance pressure to prescribe medications. Let's not cut any uh, corners on this one. Um, when we do insurance reviews, when Rebos does insurance reviews, they one of the first things they ask us is, you know, why aren't they on this medication? Why aren't they in that medication? Um, when people go into hospitals, uh, you know, for depression, they insurance companies will say, well, how come, you know, this medication has been prescribed three days later, you know, send them out. We all know that those things don't work. Um, but that's the system right now that people are operating under. It's, it's, it's shocking to me that it's, you know, people come to us to get straight, to get clean, to get sober, to basically learn how to function on their own. And, I mean, we're, they're just basically, and even from the insurance companies that are supposed to help get you off of this stuff, I mean, it's almost like they're pouring gas on the fire at times. Right. I call it, when I talk to the clients here and the patients here, I call it penny wise, pound foolish, right? Mm-hmm. So when I look at folks that are coming in, you don't want to ignore what's underneath. You know, if there is depression that is really there that's underneath that was separate from the addiction or maybe it was before the addiction um, or something else, trauma for example, you can't ignore that because you will be missing a big piece of somebody's recovery and it it may even prevent them from from actually recovering. So we don't want to miss that, but we want to make sure that we're not penny-wise, pound-foolish. We don't want to be throwing symptom-based treatment just on top of things without knowing what we're actually treating. So if we're just looking at, okay, yeah, I'm having sleep problems or yeah, I'm having anxiety problems, you got to look below. Where is that coming from? So is that coming from your withdrawal and this is something that temporarily we will just kind of help you with for this month? Or is this something that's, I've got PTSD because I was in in Iraq, Afghanistan, and I've got nightmares every night, doc, and I did heroin so I wouldn't have to deal with these nightmares. Well, yeah, I got to address the trauma. Those are two separate issues. But you're, and you're also adding the issue, and I want to be, before we get bombarded by emails saying that we're nuts, is, you know, there's certain times, you know, the drugs that people are coming in on are i mean are just are wild right and so they actually it you need drugs almost to get off of the drugs so when we get clients from a detox facility you know some detox facilities are you know they just they get them off as quick quickly and as safely most importantly safely and as comfortably as possible yeah um granted detox is not a comfortable situation but you can make it more comfortable um 
But so we'll get clients in here that are like they're, you know, they're put on an Ativan or some some sort of a um, stabilizer, so to say, right. that is will take the edge off. And, you know, so before people start getting too up in arms about what's going on, you know, there are certain drugs that are needed for, you know, kind of the Band-Aid situation to get you through that moment or those moments um, that are going on. No, but earlier today, for example, there's somebody that has no history of bipolar disorder, no history of, of seizures. They're on like three or four medicines that from what we can tell and from what the patient client can tell, there's no reason for it. So we were just talking about, okay, how do we have a schedule where we can taper off some of those things? Because now that they're more sober, they're starting to see the, the bad effects of that. They're saying, hey, doc, I can't like, my memory's a little off, I'm tired, I'm gaining weight. Well, okay, those are side effects. So my whole thing is look at pros and cons. So if you're going to risk side effects, you better have a pro that's a bigger reason why you're taking it. So if you're telling me, no, there's no indication or there's no clear indication, I don't see the purpose. Yeah. No, it's um, it's a little mind-blowing. One of the best things that ever happened to me is I was, you know, I my whole life I've had a lot of learning disabilities. My head works so fast. I'm just a fast person. Um, and they were thinking I'm ADHD, I'm ADD, or whatever they want to call it nowadays. Um, and I bought into that. Um, and this is kind of my own personal, you know, philosophy. So I don't, I don't, I don't put this on anybody else. I always have people think about it, but I don't put it on anybody else. You know, there's so many topics here. So I just want to start with this one, um, with, um, you know, attention deficit disorder, uh, because we see that so medicated so much is there are so many people that are diagnosed with this now with ADD, ADHD, whatever they want to call it nowadays. I can't even keep up with it. I own a treatment center that why are they putting these people on these stimulants to make the fast kids slow? Because in the, in, the, in the other side of it, it's like they don't put the slow kids on the playground on fast meds. So why are they putting the fast kids on slow meds? Okay. So this is where actually Ross, you and I might be slightly different on this. So ADHD, from my experience and, and what I know, it's actually something that's misdiagnosed, okay? So in, in some people, it is overdiagnosed, but also in the people who need it, it's under underdiagnosed and not treated, okay? The reason these, the meds you're talking about are fast meds, they're, they're also known as stimulants, and they're named that because their side effect is like caffeine almost, like you're stimulated, you yeah. can't sleep as much, right? So the way those meds are working with ADHD is it's, it's kind of boosting the signal, you know, making, pay attention to me, pay attention to what's in front of me. And it's also improving people's what we call executive function. So your ability to kind of regulate different things. Um, so that's why they do it for ADHD. And it really works for, for most folks that have ADHD, not everyone, but most folks. That assumes that you've got the diagnosis correct, though, in the first place. But, and then my question is, is, you know, how... How do you know the diagnosis is correct? Because most of the time when people are being being prescribed, we'll just use it as like an Adderall um, type of a thing, type of a drug, is, is right when they are in their teens and their brain is still like growing. Their body is, they're in the middle of puberty. They literally don't even know who they are. And it, to me, it almost seems like, and granted for most of these drugs, before we get even farther is I fully, fully recognize that these drugs definitely help people. My biggest thing is the, the percentage that they actually help is a heck of a lot smaller than what society is telling us it helps. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that, uh, there is, you have to look at the potential for diversion and abuse. It's kind of one of these things where you don't want to leave the people who need these things out in the cold. So what do you do? You need to have better measures in terms of keeping these things to the right people where they're not getting diverted and better measures in terms of diagnosis and, and treatment. No, I understand yeah. that. I understand that. But, My biggest thing though is, is when, you know, so let's say we have an 18 year old girl. Okay. And she gets diagnosed with ADD and they want her to put her on, you know, on Adderall to get her, you know, functioning at a higher rate, you know, so she can keep up. So her body can keep up with her head, so to say. Uh, they're almost like two separate entities. Um, and, you know, doctors will put them on. And there is a fix. They do have 
relief. They do have concentration. They do have um, focus again. But the one thing that, so that's good. But then a lot of the things is, this seems like a, a bandage to, in over, because in the next couple years, they're going to be growing into their real adult mind, adult body. This might level out. So I've, that specific issue I've wondered about. So I'm also, you know, a child and adolescent psychiatrist in addition to a general psychiatrist, adult. Um, so development is really important to me. So I'll give you some interesting facts. I wondered actually about this very specific issue, and this was something that was reassuring to me. So kids that actually have ADHD when they track them over time, not necessarily the Adderall family, but there were studies on the other family, which was Ritalin, mm -hmm. the methylphenidate family, their brains actually were in better shape, the ones that got treated with methylphenidate during some of the development, the ones that actually had ADHD. So that reassures me that they ended up in a better place. And they actually, those folks that had that, they actually had the same or lower rates of substance abuse in the population. So I, I get what you're saying, and I think that is, it, it makes sense uh, logically. I think what you have to do is you have to balance, anytime you prescribe medication, you need to look at what is the kind of impairment and what is the distress that's causing the per person? Because that has to be your target. If it's not, like with you, you, you function well like this, right? So for you, there really isn't a lot of impairment. There isn't a lot of distress. So for you, you wouldn't actually treat something right now. But for somebody else, let's say they're, they're failing out of school, they're trying over and over um, to, to finish tests and they're falling behind. The teachers are noticing it. The parents are noticing it. And that is our target. We need to look at the functional outcome of this then. So when you, they actually get treatment, do they improve on that? They yeah. may or may not. Yeah. And so that's what you've got to look at. And that's what you've got to kind of keep your eyes on the prize. We get it. We have to take a quick break right now. Uh, we're going to come back with Dr. Kambam and talk more about this uh, subject that is definitely hitting all the families across this country and the world, for that matter, um, and a lot of different opinions and a lot of different ways to get um, from A to B. Uh, we'll be right back. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ross Ramin, and this is The Power to Create Yourself. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to The Power to Create Yourself. Hi, and welcome back. This is Ross Ramin, and this is The Power to Create Yourself. We are coming from Los Angeles, California today, from the Rebos Treatment Center. And we are sitting, um, I am sitting with Dr. Kambam who is a licensed um, psychiatrist here in Los Angeles. We are talking about pills and prescriptions and how they are prescribed and so on and so forth. Uh, we were just talking about, you know, AD, um, ADD, ADHD, um, the Adderall, the Ritalins of the world and how all these things are done. Um, I wanted to follow up with you where we left off um, on the misdiagnosis of 
you know, the Adderalls and all that kind of stuff. Cause I do see that a lot. You know, people will go, Oh, I see little Jimmy over there. He's, you know, he's on Adderall and that's working out so well. And, you know, doctors and let me know if this is true or false uh but doctors are like oh okay yeah little jimmy's on it and you know Susie q wants to have this as well we'll go with that that sounds great and that just seems just more whether or not you believe there's a lot of conversations here whether or not you believe the drug is actually good or not that's one conversation but i think one thing that we can all get wrap our head around is how doctors are just prescribing it it's it's reckless correct it can be in some instances, and I think you are – look, if we have uh, a stimulant, you know, if we took a low dose, whether you have ADHD or not, you're probably going to focus better. Mm-hmm. So you can't diagnose based on just your response right there. Mm-hmm. So that's the – therein lies the problem. You have to – the diagnosis has to be kind of a careful diagnosis. You've got to get that history. You've got to get what they look like at home, what they look like at school collateral information, this is something that's been going on since childhood, that sort of stuff, that takes time, that takes effort, that takes you not trying to solve the problem this second when someone comes into your office and and being able to tolerate that, Mm -hmm. which will potentially piss a lot of families off and they'll go to another doctor. But that's something I think we have to do as a culture. Mm -hmm. The second thing you talked about was uh, throwing medications at people willy-nilly. And I think there's uh, and again, this is just my opinion. I don't know if it's as scientific, but I've seen, a, at least in Los Angeles, a, a pressure from families for performance enhancement for their kids. Absolutely. And, and that is different than saying I have ADHD, a neurodevelopmental disorder, and we're trying to get you on an even playing field with other folks. I've heard of NCAA coaches yes. in sports yes. do that for their, for, their, um, for their athletes. Yeah, sports is another whole nother industry. And, and here, you know, there's a lot of folks that I can tell you even from my own practice that have come in that are in quote unquote high power professions and, and they are on performance enhancement uh, use of stimulants basically to stay up, to, to focus better. The pressure is huge. Right. I mean, the pressure is huge for those type of kids. Um, I, th- I think, yeah, it's just it's astounding to me of what it is because it's I think it's a valid point. You and I definitely have a different opinion. Um, not a hundred percent. I think it's kind of fifty fifty when it comes to these. I'm such a you know, and I and I use myself as what it is. You know, I finally had one guy come up to me. He's like, "Why don't you find out who you are before you find out if you, what you need right. from these drugs?" And it was the smartest thing I've ever that I was ever given. And you know, there. are you know, I very well may, may be ADHD. Every, it seems like everybody's, I've been diagnosed that enough. So I think we'll call it a fact. But I do know there's been so many things in this world that have been developed. This iPhone right here on my desk, you know, the guy that developed this thing, I mean, talking about a fast brain right. into slowing him down would have been a catastrophe. Yeah. I think it really kind of comes down to is what the patient is comfortable with. And are they... Are they comfortable with it? Are they saying they need this drug? Because, I mean, if I met with you as a thing, I'm like, I'm pretty good with who I am. And you would be like, I'm not going to sign you up for this, you know? Yeah, there's got to be a target. There's got to be an, a, a target that you're trying to fix. And that's why I said earlier, you got to re- really look at, is this causing somebody real, real impairments in their life? I think that just hit the nail on the head right there. I think, you know, I always told myself, I had a counselor tell me once, he goes, Ross, you are a Ferrari. But you have no idea how to drive yourself. You drive yourself like a Bronco, you know, but you're in a, you have the body of a Ferrari. Yeah. I know we're talking about pills today, but, you know, a lot of mental health treatment and psychiatry, for that matter, is the non-pill stuff. So one thing you do in therapy for folks with ADHD, adults, teenagers, is to look at your kind of natural rhythms. And there are rhythms where you, a lot of folks will hyper-focus, where they've got just a burst of focus. Yeah. And you learn that yourself, and you learn when that happens, and that's, you know what, that's when you do a lot of your work. Harness Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Harness the Ferrari. Let's jump over to opiates. Um, opiates is, is, this is an epidemic in this country. What I'm seeing going on here, I mean, opiates have been around since the Sears Roebuck catalog. I mean, they used to sell heroin in the back of the catalog with a needle, the whole rig, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, And it's been around forever. And it's a heck of a pain reliever. It really is. But we are seeing so many of our clients on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. I mean, 
it's been a while since I've seen somebody just come in here because they drink too much or they do too much cocaine. This is a pill epidemic that's going across this entire world. It's out of control. And you're on the front line of this having to untangle what it is. Um, give me your two cents on this. Yeah, it's definitely an epidemic. I would even call it a crisis right now. I think that's and almost 100%. every person, not every person, but uh, you know, mo- the majority of the folks we're seeing through the doors here at Rebos have opiate use disorders. I mean, people used to come. I remember when I started uh, working with clients nine years ago. I would do an intake with them, and this is nine years ago, not that even that long ago. And they would be, you know, what's your first drug you did? And it was, you know, I snuck some alcohol from my parents' liquor cabinet, smoked a little weed. I've had, I can't even tell you how many people, they haven't even smoked weed or had a sip of alcohol before they've raided their parents' um, medicine cabinet. Or you've gotten heroin from, from, from their friends. It's it's a, it's unbelievable. It's easier to st- it's easier to get than a bottle of booze from the parents' liquor cabinet. Yeah, this I, I've been thinking a lot about this, as has many people in this country. It's been all over the news how we got into this mess in the first place, and I don't think there's a one quick answer. I wish we had a radio show just for that, but I think it comes from many, many, many places. One place I can tell you from my own experience is from the doctor's side. Okay, when I was going through medical school. There was a big movement that pain is the fifth vital sign. You know, basically you check your heart, you check your breathing, you check et cetera, et cetera, but you got to check pain. We're not treating patients' pain. We're letting them suffer. You need to start asking them on their scale. And basically whatever they say on the scale, that's the amount that basically links to how much, how much basically opiate medication you treat them. And basically this whole movement of pain is the fifth vital sign in their most dramatic states you that that that's the facts that you're going off of right right so but that's a whole nother issue dramatic as opposed to logical right that that's a whole nother issue in terms of should our outcomes be only based on patient satisfaction or should it be based on outcomes and satisfaction because right now a lot of uh, uh, hospitals and a lot of insurance organizations, things happen based on patient satisfaction. You can see where that would be a big problem with addicts. Absolutely. And a big problem with if somebody's in pain and potentially you've got to do the hard thing and tell them, look, you know, I know penny wise pound foolish. You know, you, we might have to struggle a little bit with the pain now, but in the long run, you're going to be in, in better shape and in less pain. But Back to what we're talking about with the, with the opiates, uh, there was a real push to, to treat pain, and I think that, that was a good thing in a lot of ways. We don't want to let people suffer, but the unintended consequences is look at what happened. Now, everyone was put on opiates, and I, the way that that message, pain is the fifth vital sign, got translated to doctors was not manage pain. It was prescribe opiates, and that's what started happening. And as if you look, the prescriptions of opiates started skyrocketing. What also started happening? Death rates, overdoses went up, um, substance use treatment, arresting arrests, right? And you know, it, it happened in the context of also uh, drug companies pushing uh, their their medications, OxyContin, for example. Um, it came and saying that this is safe, it's less likely for people to get addicted to, and we know that's that's just not true now in hindsight. It also came in the context of insurance companies um, covering that type of treatment, but maybe not other kinds of treatments that we need more of, like a lot of like physical therapy or a lot of maybe NSAIDs or, or feedback or other issues that go on. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that the doctors, how quickly they give away these pain pills. To me, I went to my. I had I had I had a couple of um, I had a couple of root canals about four years ago, and I went to the dentist, and I literally filled out on the form as he walked in. I, you know, what are your things? I said I was a drug addict. You know, I, this is what it is. And he, we talked about my job. We talked about how long I've been clean for this, that, and another. And literally at the end of the of the after he did his root canal and my face is all droopy from the Novocaine, he he said, Would you like to get a prescription for Oxycontin or would you rather have the Tylenol eight hundreds? I was like, we just had a whole conversation on this. That this is the slipperiest slope on the planet for me. And it was like it went in one ear and went out the other. It's like the total ignorance behind what it is. And I think a lot of a lot of these clients they come in here, they are so you know, oh, a doctor prescribed it. It's got to be good. 
it's got to be okay because the doctor put it in, gave it me this prescription. I think that's the one of the biggest things you probably are. Oh, my, my psychiatrist of 30 years gave me this. He's our family doctor. He would never do us harm. I don't think they're trying to do harm. No, I don't think they I think they're just uneducated. Yeah, there are some doctors, I will say this, that are just bad seeds like in any, any drug field. Dealers. Yeah, that are in any field. Straight but, up drug dealers. But that is by far the minority. I think most of the doctors, they have the message that they're tr- they need to help their patients and they, they are trying to do well. Um, and let's just mention, too, a lot of these doctors, they get like 10 minutes, 15 minutes with the patient. So they come in, how do you solve that problem? You know, you really can't. And it's, this is why I say it's it's a bigger issue than just the doctors. It's the whole system has to change the culture of of us as consumers in in America of what we want out of things has to change. And but you know, the other side is this: is most of the folks that are starting with misusing prescription you know opiates, it's not most of them are not buying on the street at least to start with. They're getting it from doctors. Or they're getting it from friends who got it from doctors and had some leftovers or or said something, you know, inappropriately to get it. Now, it is tough from the doctor's side because, you know, you got to balance. There are people out there that are in pain that need certain pain medications to get through things. You don't want to leave them out in the cold. And also, uh, doctors take what their patients say at face value. That's what we're trained to do. You know, you assume someone's telling you the truth because they're suffering, right? And if you have a good addict, it's hard to tell if it's true or not true because right. they're very good at lying. Right. And people have different kinds of motivations. It's not always that, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth. I could potentially lie. It also could be that I'm not necessarily going to try and deceive you, but I feel like I have to have that medication. It's almost that pseudo addiction thing. And then they get prescribed it uh, for a quick fix. It's, you know, I think a lot comes up to, you know, us as individuals, knowing what's right or wrong here. We can't rely on the doctors to know exactly what we need. We have to have a little bit of self-will. You know, my wife broke 12, 11 bones in her body in one day. Um, and they were talking about like a total um, person to get, you know, six in her back, four in her left hand. And she was a totally candidate for pain meds. Um, she was on pain meds for about a couple of weeks um, every other day. And then she went just to Tylenol, Advil. She 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 knew what this slippery slope was going to be. I mean, she needed relief, and God bless her, she needed it. Um, but it's also that people need to know, like, open your eyes. People are going to jail and they're dying. 206 people per day in this country yeah. are dying. Like, this is a slippery slope. This is not good. Opiates and these benzos, they hit you so much faster than, you know, alcohol or marijuana does to get addicted to it. It's almost, I mean, it was designed to basically hit you immediately um, for where it's going. Um, the other thing, we're going to go to a break in a couple of seconds, but a couple, um, about another minute. So I want to finish up. I want to talk about uh, kids and opiates. Um, I, and I, I my facts are a little skewed on this. Maybe you can help me about this. And then I also want to talk about your letter from the Surgeon General. Um, but kids on opiates, I guess there was something that was just okayed for kids to be on a smaller dose of opiates. Yeah, so the FDA, you know, the Federal Drug Advisor, um, Advisory Board, they basically control uh, how pharmaceutical companies can market drugs for what indications. So that's when you hear something is prescribed on label or off label. If it's off-label, that means it doesn't have that FDA indication or approval. So doctors can technically prescribe medications for anything. Um, That has nothing to do with the FDA. The FDA has nothing to do with controlling an individual doctor's prescription. So the FDA gave their approval for for children to have certain opiate, and and that's basically what came through. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, all right. Um, hang with us, guys. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break. My name is Ross Ramin, and we're with Dr. Kambam um, here in Los Angeles, and we'll be right back. Thank you so much. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. 
At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit RebosTreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to the power to create yourself with ross ramin to find out more about ross and the program visit the rebos treatment center website at rebostreatment.com now back to the power to create yourself hi welcome back to the show this is ross ramin and this is the power to create yourself we're coming to you from los angeles california we're with dr Kambam today talking about opiates, pills, prescriptions, um, the do's, the don'ts, the heads ups, um, everything involved with it. Um, I wanted to talk about, and this is the one thing, and you know, hopefully there's somebody listening now that's going through or a loved one that can kind of share these kind of facts, is one thing we always see when it comes to detox from whether it's meth, opiates, um, there is a reaction when you're getting off of those. And I've seen a lot of people that are going through detox because from, you know, pain medications um, or from cocaine or from meth, any of these things, and they think that they have, their back is still hurting them. So they need the pain meds. Doc, doc you got to give me the pain meds. Um, it's, you know, it's killing me. You know, or they're coming off of cocaine. Where I, When I was coming off of cocaine, I was, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't see straight. Um, every I was having a total reaction. Meth that happens too. They don't realize that their body needs to, like, reset. You are going to have back pain and body pain when coming off of opiates. I mean, you're coming off of typical. I mean, synthetic heroin. Really. I mean, it's it's a it's a jacked up detox. I mean, it's kind of par for course for you to have pain, even though that pain is coming from that back surgery that you had 10 years ago, you're not going to know what's, I guess, quote unquote, real pain or what is drug, drug detox pain. Um, what's your, what's your two cents on that? Yeah, I think that is a great observation. I think it hits it right on the head of the issue of misdiagnosis. Um, two things. So, the addicts or the folks that are going through that withdrawal, um, yeah, they will have lots of symptoms that with time they will go away. And we have to sort that out. From the doctor's side, they need to separate that out and not diagnose things. You know, somebody's going to look like they have bipolar disorder and withdrawal. Somebody's going to look like they have chronic pain in withdrawal. Somebody's going to look like they have ADHD when they're withdrawn from meth. But the question is, is, is that going to last? You know, I tell all the clients here that pretty much when you are using and you stop, for example, we were talking about this with alcohol earlier, you might have sleep problems for a year, maybe two years. you got to give time for your brain to heal. You've been pounding your brain with these substances, and it takes time to heal, and that's part of the process. Yeah. You're just going to have to – there's a – Hey, coming off these drugs, everybody wants it to feel like, you know, clouds and bubblegum trees and butterflies coming off of it. There's there's pain that goes with it, unfortunately. We, I mean, we know so many people that want to get better, but they are just terrified of the detox, of what that is going to entail. I mean, it's a lot of sweating. Um, you're, you know, you're going to the bathroom, probably in the wrong spots. Um, you know, your, your bones feel like razor blades inside of your skin. Um, so it's been, you know, told to me, um, from other clients that we've had, um, I think it's the biggest, um, the biggest, it's, it's a thing and and people just want sat want relief from it. And, and this is, it's, it's hard to, to say to them, but it's like, hold on, you'll be okay. 
Yeah, I think how I feel as a doctor is I want to make that process as comfortable as possible without jeopardizing your long-term health. That's basically how I, in my mind, that's how I'm weighing things when I talk to people. Insult to injury. I mean, that's what it is. We'll get clients that come to us from other, from detox places, and they're almost worse coming out of the detox than they were going into it. Yeah. Um, And it's like, we just have this whole other thing on our hands. Um, I want to talk about, uh, we you got a letter from, was it the Surgeon General? That's right. Yeah, talk to me about that. So because of this opiate crisis and epidemic, uh, it's really hit hit crisis proportions. And the Surgeon General kind of launched a campaign called Turn the Tide, where they've asked, sent letters out to, to physicians and asked people to sign on to this, where basically we say, no, it's not okay to have this sort of crisis, recognizing our role in this as healthcare providers, and how do we start turning the tide? Wow. Wow. What, what, what do you think that they need to do more to like, I mean, great. They sent out a letter. What what needs to be done for this? Well, this problem didn't start from one place. So I think it's a very complicated solution. It has to be done on many levels. I think, um, we need to not measure things based on patient satisfaction. I think we need to educate doctors that, yes, we want to treat pain as the fifth vital sign, but we want to also weigh it like anything else we do in medicine as pros and cons, risks and benefits. What's it going to look like long term? And, and we've got to balance that. I think um, as technology's gotten better, I think we need to make the hard call as a society about privacy rights versus protecting people. Uh, right now, we have statewide databases that can tell us about controlled prescri- prescriptions, but we don't have a nationwide system. I think having that potentially registered everywhere where every pharmacy, whether it's cash, insurance, uh, credit card, whatever, it's registered in a system that someone's picking it up would really help me and, and having that accessible would help. I think we have to have a culture change as a society. Uh, I think we need to look at um, do we need immediate fixes for everything, even if it is penny-wise, pound-foolish? We need to look at that issue, and I think that needs to be done also, especially with people who have addiction problems on on their own path to recovery and their own journey. Yeah. No, it's interesting to me because it, those ideas sound great, but it seems – I mean, it seems like a heck of an uphill battle. I mean, I think it is. You see commercials on TV now to get rid of constipation for your daily opioid use. Yeah. Um, like they're selling, you know, oh, you take an opiate, so you need, you know, so right. not get off of it, but here's how to deal with it. Right. And it gets a complex problem because you've got a, a board like the FDA that, that gives labels or, you know, by not giving label, making things off label, you've got. Now, insurance companies that are going to push, I'm sorry, insurance companies that are going to cover things, you've got pharmaceutical companies that, you know, their goal is to make a profit off their product. So, you know, they're not necessarily evil, but their goals are different. They're, you know, a business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think on all of those levels, it you see how all these kind of factors interact. So, for example, let's say insurance covers, if I gave this prescription medicine real quick, and then they're out of the hospital, but then we're not going to cover kind of the other parts of it, like the psychotherapy. This happens all the time, right? And so many times that may be okay, but a lot of times it may cause problems. And we need to look at, are we okay with that as a society? I'm not okay with it. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think it's really important that, you know, the parents out there, because we, you know, the majority of the clients that we see here are, um, you know, young adults, I'd say 30 and under. Um, and a lot of their you know, the issues that they're, you know, their kids that they send to us. Um, and I call them kids, they're in their 20s, but they're so, uh, and I say this, I say this respectfully. I mean, I was a 30-year-old kid when I got sober, um, but they send their kids to us and it's just, there's a, so much that parents have contributed to where their kids are at with the, with the pills. I mean, the parents... They don't want to deal with their kid anymore. It's like, they're, go get them a drug. Go yep. get them this. Yep. You know, it's a, we are such a society on quick fix. There's a pill for every single thing out there. So it's like, you could see, I mean, you get to see me every day and I get so jacked up about this stuff because it's just like, 
I mean, I get there are certain medications out there that that need to be there. I mean, I think most most medications they need to be there. It's a small percentage, though, of what actually is the amount of people that come to us that are actually bipolar. I mean, is staggering. Like what the actual number is in comparison to what's being diagnosed. Yeah, it's closer to what you expect in in clinics. Uh, you know, when we're seeing it. But you know, you bring up two things. I mean, I think I think one of the things is is that we we have to look as a society about do do we need quick fixes for everything all right and because there's a lot of problems with that that kind of attitude i mean take for the addiction take addiction for example you know one of the things that happens with a lot of addicts is they go to use something when it's hard to regulate yourself or regulate your own emotions or your stress reaction or what have you right we need to be teach your kids that how to do that growing up and if you don't, you know, there's potentially a lot of consequences right here. hundred percent. We, I mean, a drug addict, I mean, once you get bit, and I wouldn't even say drug addict. I think people in general, we are a, we want, we want satisfaction on whatever level it is yesterday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we want it yesterday and we want it fixed now because it's the hustle and bustle. You know, time always, wasn't always like that. I mean, there, it seemed to be more um, responding as opposed to reacting right. to the situations that are in this in this world um right so with my my the brain of the the child adolescent psychiatrist side is i want to make it beyond that i want to make it kind of proactive so we teach people skills that will kind of buffer them from these kinds of paths yeah that's where i think we need to be going in terms of prevention and i think it's also i had, I had a mom call me up hmm, maybe six nine months ago and she was talking to me and she's like my son is is active in football and hockey and soccer and his grades are slipping and I'm thinking uh, the doctor has put him on Adderall and the and I'm finding that my son's just saying he doesn't like how it feels and I honestly I said to I said to this mom I said that's great that he's involved in all these sports and I'm really sorry that his grades are slipping but let's let, let me ask you a question. Why did you put him on Adderall? She's like, well, because he was he was slipping in his grades and I wanted him to focus more. I'm like, did you ever think that he was just tired? Yeah. He's taking three sports in one season. Yeah. And then you, you're expecting him to get A's, B's, passing grades, whatever it has to be. I mean, folks, there's got to be a little bit of common sense. Yeah that's going on here it's like why is my house burning down well because it's on fire i just had someone in private practice that was talking about uh that particular issue and i was like well how much sleep are you getting at night five hours how how can you focus how could you focus i mean you have to look at those but again all that stuff takes time well it's and i think the sleep med thing is is another great point i almost forgot about it we've got so many people that come into here and they say they can't sleep and when you're coming off of drugs and alcohol, this, you can't sleep. You haven't learned, you haven't slept in so long. Yeah. You've passed out, yeah. <laughs> but you haven't found the cold side of your pillow and God knows how long. Yeah, I'm torn with this issue because even people who are not coming off of drugs, uh, I'm really a big proponent of the behavioral sleep interventions and the cognitive behavioral ones. That's really the way to do it. That is all the studies show that that's the long-term chronic insomnia. That is the best outcome. And I really work with people on that. That being said, I know when people are going through withdrawal because of their brain response, they're not going to be able to sleep as well. That's what's going to happen. So we have to weigh, is that going to get better? How bad is it? And then versus if it is really bad, do we want to temporarily treat it with something that's not going to be addictive, not going to be habit forming? And not going to mess up your your brain kind of chemistry in the long run. And I think that's okay as long as you really tell that that patient, this is you know this is what you're obviously we, you can tell the patient what you're giving them. Yeah. You know it is, but really educate them. You yeah. know we're giving you a sleep med right now because this is going to be a lot of pain and you're going to need your strength. Right. But you know once you get it, but but I think it's also a valid comment to also say is once you're done with the quote unquote detox, um, to really. You know, it's going to be important for you to really find out what you need and don't need in this world. You know, like you don't even know if there is a, like a sleep. I mean, you had a sleep problem because of the pain, but do you really have a sleep problem of what's going on? And I remember I was up for I was up for a month and a half at the weirdest hours, 
And they kept saying, do you want to sleep in? I'm like, no, I don't know what I need yet. I'd rather just be up and watch the stars in the middle of the night. And my body recalibrated it. Yeah. I mean, we these drugs, they hijacked you. Yeah. Yep. They hijacked you. Yep. So it's whether you agree with pill, you know, prescriptions to the level, um, to, you know, to the highest level or to the lowest level. I think the common denominator of our talk today is really, folks, let's make an educated like decision here of what's what's really real let's make a fact are they actually clinically depressed or are they having a reaction because their golden retriever named duke just died last week and you know what they're sad right you know my mom died in october and people are like wow you must be pretty depressed i'm like i'm depressed but it was it was a you know this might sound kind of odd but i was i enjoyed going through the sadness you know, it, it, because it was a feeling and emotion that I was given, given, yeah. uh, um, you know, when I was put on this earth to basically understand feelings and emotions. It's okay to cry. It's okay to laugh, uncomfortable, this, that, and another. It's so important. But I think the biggest thing that, you know, that I'm hearing from you is, you know, we obviously disagree on certain things, but I think we agree, agree on the big thing is, and I think we might disagree because I'm just not a, you know, I'm not a doctor and I'm just kind of a hard nose a little bit. Um but I think obviously we agree on enough stuff because we work together. Um, but I think the biggest thing for people to really think about is think about this logically. Yes. Think about this logically. Think about this um, just, you know, really respond to what's going on as opposed to reacting. Your kid might, your kid's probably tired because he's in three sports and going to high school at the same time. Yeah. We, you know what, maybe cut down a little bit there yeah. um, and give yourself a break. You just came off of two years of, you know, smoking meth. You're going to be a little out of your mind for a little bit. It's going to take time to recalibrate that. Yes. Um, Dr. Kambam, I can't thank you enough for coming by today. It means the world to me. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Anytime. I, you got, we will have you back on. I think we just uncovered a treasure trove of uh, more more subjects for it to cover. Um, thanks for joining us today. My name is Ross Ramin. This is a Power to Create Yourself. If you have any questions, you can email me at ross at r-e-b-o-s-t-x dot com, and I'll be happy to answer your questions. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us this week on The Power to Create Yourself. We hope to have you tune in again next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition with Ross Ramin on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an enlightening week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.